This episode is brought to you by Alberta Podcast Network. My name is Kenny Buller, and as a host of Second Floor Podcast, we are extremely proud to say that we are partners and affiliated with Alberta Podcast Network. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Second Floor Podcast listeners. This is Kenny Buller, your host on the third season of Second Floor, where we talk about how to survive, thrive, and keep the good vibes going in health and fitness. On this season, we have brought to you many different health professionals, fitness professionals, you name it, industry leaders in the space of health and fitness who bring um, really awesome conversations with myself about key topics that will help elevate your overall holistic health. And on today's episode, I bring to you someone who I've been just incredibly inspired by as soon as I joined the fitness industry. Um, his, uh, I like to call him a local celebrity. Uh, he's the one and only Andrew Coates. And as many of you know in our community, Andrew Coates is someone um, who's been known to grow a very large organic following of upward of 33,000 Instagram followers now. He's a fitness writer for um, several publications in the fitness industry, including T Nation, the PTTC, Generation Iron, and True Coach, with many more in the works. He is also a podcaster. Um, he's the host of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. And Andrew is also currently a personal trainer at Evolve and his home studio in South Edmonton. Andrew has had over 19,000 client coaching hours and counting, and he has been in the personal training industry for over 12 years. Andrew has also shared a mutual interest and experience in receiving his Bachelor of Commerce degree. Um, You know, when you look at someone like Andrew, he to me is somebody who clearly is a fantastic role model and someone we should all um, really aspire to uh, be like when it comes to uh, looking at seeing what high quality service and authenticity looks like as a trainer. And, uh, you know, that is exactly what we go into on this podcast. We talk about, you know, how to build your credibility and build up your sales acumen and pretty much, you know, create a more confidence as a trainer outside of what you need to know based off your service offering of training others and providing them the results they need. So tune in, check this episode out. We go into several different topics associated with building up a personal trainer's confidence. And, you know, if you're not in the training space, I highly believe that this is um, pretty valuable to you as well when it comes to, you know, how you should show up for your clients and, you know, how you show up for your business. And, you know, if this is something that you guys enjoy, please take the time to review it, like it, share it with your network. You know, the the greatest Christmas gift you can provide us on the second floor is, you know, sharing this with a friend that you believe is going to enjoy it and writing us a review. So without further ado, guys, we're going to dive right in. We hope you all have a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And we're excited to close out the year with one of our biggest guests yet. That's the one and only Andrew Coates. Let's go. Hi there, I'm Brendan 
certified home inspector with Rumi. Do you have a problem that needs fixing? Whether it's big or small, inside or outside, let me help you find out what's really going on. You can call me by phone, or we can take a look together over video chat. Visit rumi.ca, that's R-U-M-I and go to Ask a Home Inspector to book your appointment with me today. I'm- all right, ladies and gentlemen, I am here with the one and only Andrew Coates from Edmonton, Alberta, who, I mean, if I could say this on behalf of everyone, Andrew, you are the GOAT of the personal industry, the personal training industry for Edmonton, Alberta, man. Let's set something straight. Dean Somerset is the GOAT of personal training <laughs> for Edmonton. And I recently was, and because I, I know you're up for some of the awards for the uh, Yego Fitness Awards as well, but I was trying to stuff the ballot box for Dean because, well, quite frankly, the guy's an institution, the city, and like my good friend Jordan Jeske, amazing guy. He's won it before, deserves it 10 times over the project. He's doing great stuff. But like Dean doesn't ever try to get nominated for these things, and the guy deserves it. And he's doing such cool things on an international level as an educator that I don't think it means that big a deal to Dean. He's not the sort of personality who would seek it out, which is why it's just that much more important to me to go, hey, guys. Name this damn award after him. Give it to him in perpetuity. He deserves it. Anybody in the fitness space who doesn't know who he is or isn't digging into his stuff, you have an institution that people pay and travel to see all over the world, and he's right on your doorstep. And when he does a seminar here, sure, there's lots of people come to it, but there's a lot of trainers that don't even know that he's here. So that's someone I want people to pay attention to. And like just starting over here, this is absolutely my mindset when it comes to my media it's there's so many other really great resources and people out there so if you absolutely make your media and everything about other people whether it's your clients or just just a pure abundance mindset there's nothing there's no way better to explain it than abundance mindset it a it feels really really good but people are drawn to that people like that as opposed to and i've seen people with their media it's just about them 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 and it's very Egocentric, it's very narcissistic, and, and we throw that word around, but it is what it is. And you can tell that this person is really doing stuff just for them to look good, and they are terrified of the idea of sharing their stage with anyone else for fear that the people watching would then go, Oh, I'm gonna go follow this other person to hell with you. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, that's such a good point, man. Because when you come in with the mentality as a trainer that you are the one and only person to help this person, it's not going to go that well for you. And I think you're, it's very clear your social media presence is so clear of seeing, for one, how quickly you've grown it because you're all about hyping the next best guy, the next best trainer or female who's out there that you notice is doing a good job. And I've noticed how often you'd give people, you know, periodic shout outs or notify individuals of, hey, follow this person who's going to help you with X, Y, Z. And you're creating that community within your own name. I couldn't possibly write articles on every topic. I don't have the time for it between coaching and all the other things I'm doing, let alone have the expertise in all the space. And yet our industry is full of great people who some of them are really well known. You know, I've got friends like Sohili and, and, uh, Jordan Syatt, who very big social media following, is very good at what they do. But then there are other people that, you know, again, underfoot in the city. I mean, Dean Somerset's well-recognized, but uh, working closely with him is Hannah Gray, who's also at Evolve Downtown, who's just amazing with um, Olympic. She's an international-level uh, Olympic weightlifter, a powerlifter, and she does incredible work with, uh, you know, postpartum 
training on top of just being a great general population trainer. So there's, there's a lot of really cool people in our city, in our space. I get a guy like Jordan Jeske. Jordan's doing awesome things here. Uh, you know, if anybody wants a, you know, really awesome space to be in, in a group setting or wants to do anything to do with golf, <laughs> you're talking to Jordan, right? Yeah. Just as a few examples. And I could spend an hour talking about all the great people in our city or, or otherwise, but at least with social media, I have a constant opportunity to, to showcase those people. And it doesn't take anything away from me. It's not like anyone goes, well, why would I bother talking to Andrew about training where he's just making a point of all these other people? Sometimes people like the message and align with your energy to the point where they're like, no, no, I, I really want to train with you. I really want to talk to you. And I, I find that people become more inclined to train with someone when they find something that they relate to with that person. Like right off the bat, if someone such as Hannah is related to helping those out in postpartum, then okay. People who are going through that are going to want to be connected and feel like she's going to be the one to help her out. People who are into golf are going to go to Jordan. But then I, I did this experiment once and it actually, to be honest, it surprised me because it was something that I initially went into the industry, you know, only being still about just about under two years in where it was all about education and it was all about confidence. But the third thing is relatability. And I'd be at a house party, Andrew, and I'd be with some people, I'd say hi to them. I'd be like, hey, like, you don't mind me asking, you ever had a trainer? And they're like, oh, yeah, I have. And I was like, okay, I just wanna, I just wanna know, what made you sign up with that trainer? And I'm telling you, man, nine times out of 10, every single one of them was like, you know what, we just, we had this in common. Or, you know, I just noticed that like, they have kids and I do too, and they just, they get where my life's at right now. And that's something that I decided to take into huge consideration with my team. And I told them, I was like, guys, if anything, even if you're new, find some common ground with this person. And they will know that because you're new, it's okay to admit that, that you're going to be hungry enough to do whatever it takes to do the extra research, take the extra time to be able to help them out instead of just coming off like someone you're not. And I notice, like, I've been guilty of it sometimes where it's like you try and come off like you're, you're, you're offering or selling more than you actually could. You know what I mean? I think people who are relatively new to the industry, that's a common thing. There's also, there's so many things that newer people to the industry or newer people to what I like to call the evidence-based side of the industry. I'll give you a really good example. There's a lot of trainers who, when they hear a client or potential client will sit in front of them and say, oh, I just want to get toned. And then all of a sudden out comes the education, the lecture, well, well, Tone's not really a thing. Like, there's no such thing. And then they get into anatomical and biomechanical correctness, and they talk about, well, you know, there's building muscle, and then there's getting leaner, whatever. Am I allowed to swear? Please. Tone is a fucking thing, okay? <laughs> tone is absolutely a thing. And every fucking personal trainer, when someone says, hey, I want to get tone, I look at them and go, I, under I know exactly what you're talking about. And I'm not remotely interested in the, in the fucking, the, the, the lesson, the, the biology biomechanics lesson for that person because the moment you go into that you start to damage the trust you made that person feel stupid and small you've blown the sale yeah maybe across a few weeks or months as you develop a relationship you have an awesome opportunity from a trusting place to educate clients within like, we don't need to flex on our knowledge of the human anatomy with most clients I, I've, I've got doctors I train and sure we riff on stuff like that because that's the language they really dig and then we just have some fun with it right you know you're not trying to impress anyone but if you can demonstrate that then you can speak their language you've got some common ground like you said relate, relatability but for trainers it's like meet people where they're at listen to what they're saying 
um, there's a, a guy I was following on the internet and he had this like diatribe about lean muscle and how lean muscle is not a thing. It's like there, there's muscle and there's fat. Okay, cool. I get that. But guess what? We understand when someone says, hey, I want to build lean muscle. You, you, you know what they mean. You don't go and turn around and go, well, actually. Yeah. Right? So it's one of these little things that I think newer coaches can sometimes go through this phase where they work through this stuff. It's part of the process. It's part of it. And I think it's one of the lessons that very early on you can meet people where they are, use the language that they use and understand. They come to you. Another one is the women, um, you know, getting bulky myth. Mm. And I post. Like I don't want to. I know you post about like, oh, a I, woman doesn't want to lift weights because they're going to get too yeah. bulky, which is not. I've been doing well. this for over eleven years. Seventy-five percent of the women who have sat in front of me interviewing about potentially trading with me have said some version of, I don't want to get too muscular. I don't want to get bulky, and that's the language they use. And when I post about it on social media, there's always one person who has a shit fit, and they don't like the language, and they get mad, and blah blah blah. And it's like, no. We're going to use the language that is commonly in place. One of the most positive things women could ever do, men, everybody in general, kids, older adults, you know, age-appropriate training kids, but the best thing they could possibly do for their physical and mental health is to start resistance training if they're not outside of stopping smoking, right, if they're smokers. So what do we have? We have still a very small percentage of the population who are gym members or, or go to gyms. So we have this vast blue ocean, marketing terms, you and I both have marketing backgrounds in business school, that, grab my train of thought here a little bit, there's so much potential to get people into our space as opposed to trainers thinking in terms of, oh God, like, I can't say a nice thing about another trainer, God forbid, like my clients would leave. There are so many people out there who could benefit from personal training or just going to a gym in general. And we'll do a way better job of getting them in there if we actually defeat some of these myths and I try to do it with humor and, and make light of it and it's like just ask all of the guys Kenny how long have you been working out I've been working out since I was now, 14 you're also properly. a mixed martial artist yeah so there's a certain point where too much muscle is going to be detrimental to your performance yeah. but how long have you been working at getting jacked and bulky oh for years how hard has it been <laughs> it's an ongoing campaign like, so why would you know Anybody, woman, man, who just steps in the gym think, oh my God, like if I touch these dumbbells, all of a sudden I'm going to have a set of traps like an Olympia bodybuilder, right? And it's like, no, that is going to take a very long time. And before that even happens, you're actually going to seek the benefits of actually losing what you want to lose in the first place. Oh, this, you know? there are so many benefits to it. So I, one of my passions is, all right, let's try to get as many people as possible to get in the gym. I... My client, Larry. So anybody who follows... Love me, Larry, man. Larry's, <laughs> the Larry, Larry's up a rock star. Larry's 71 years old. It's amazing. Um, he's strong as hell. You know, I, I put a lot of video of him trap bar deadlifting or squatting or doing farmer's carries. And he's got a massive fan club now. People just love the man. He's sweet. He's good natured. He's sort of like bashful about the attention he gets. And he is himself a great story. But he's also an avatar for a type of person that I hope people will see. And again, you look at your Instagram statistics and, you know, there's not a very large percentage that are literally in their like mid 60s upward. Well, and I want people to look at Larry and be like, you know what? If he can do it, so can my granddad. That's you know? exactly it. Like, it's like, I don't want people to look at the gym anymore as this place. And sorry to cut you off, but no. like I have two clients that are 169, 170. And they're strong. Like one's a female, one's a male. And you know, shout out to Marlene. She'll 
deadlift 160 pounds, Andrew. And she'll, she's in her head sometimes. And she's like, oh, I'm not getting strong enough. And you know this. Marlene messaged me all the, t- all the time. Yeah. And she's like always like just saying hi and just responding to my stuff. Oh, she's a she, sweetheart. She's awesome. She was so scared of like losing you as a trainer when you came down from one gym to another, right? Yes. And I love how she voiced that out to you. And you know what? Shout out to her, man, because you know what she did? This made me really happy because I said, Marlene, I'll do whatever it takes to move you over to a different trainer. I'll be reviewing the program. I want to make sure you're taken care of. She's like, Kenny, I do not want to drive across the city, but I'm going to do it. (laughs) But that's her way of saying I love you. you But it goes back to the relationship. Right? And like you said, relatability. But I mean, let's take that one step deeper. It's relationship. In a little over 11 years, I have been asked twice to my memory what my, quote, certification was. Whereas everybody else dives into just sharing where they're coming from, listening, and it's all based on that trust and that rapport. And clients stay with you over the years because they like you, right? Certainly there's an element of people will assess if you're qualified. You know, and one of the things you asked off air about me to kind of talk about in successful personal Mm -hmm. trainers, you as a gym manager, and I've spent six years in a commercial gym and and now it's been over five in, in Evolve. There's a very strong correlation between your engagement and your professionalism on the floor. A lot of I, I've witnessed a lot of trainers who will will sit in a lazy posture or who they've got the phones up. Right? I use a tablet because a tablet looks a hell of a lot more professional than the phone. Mm-hmm. And, and the trainer may be logging stuff on the phone, but I've seen trainers who are texting their significant other, I, and I know that's the thing. The, or, or trainers who are just not paying attention or really engaged, and you can. Since it radiates how they want to be anywhere else other than I remember one young female trainer who she just radiated apathy for the client in front of her. She just could not bring herself to look like she was enjoying it or engaged in it. And she had only a couple clients and she washed out very quickly. Whereas the trainers that I've worked closely with who've really immersed themselves in the experience of the clients and they're enthusiastic, they love it. They've done great. And it's not even like it's a hard thing because, uh, you know, I pulled some crazy hours. I'm trying to think. I'm somewhere around, if I'm not mistaken, God, it feels like 20,000 long training hours in 11 years. I, I think that's right. Yeah. And you don't do that slogging through every and dreading every everything. I look forward to training Larry. I look forward to training so many of the clients. The vast majority of the clients I work with, I, I'm like excited to see. There's another element to it too, where if you have someone that's really not a good fit, you get deeper in your career and you kind of have to say, okay, you know, this person is a great fit for me. Be professional about it, but like find another home for them or just in a professional way in the relationship because that's going to... Everybody else you deal with that day is going to feel your negative energy around you dreading or coming out of that experience. Yeah, and you know what? You you make a good point, Andrew, because some people recognize that they themselves can't help the client with whatever their needs and goals are. And if we if we relate it to that or even outside of like, hey, there's a personality clash here, like what your values aren't with mine and this just isn't working. If you've ever been in that situation, like how would you say a trainer handles that conversation? Like the let's call it the breakup or like the hey, you know what, you're someone who um, clearly has different expectations, or I do, and I need to make sure you're in good hands with so-and-so. Like, What did that conversation look and sound like? That's a really tricky opinion? one. So, I mean, I, I, can re- I had one client at the, the old commercial gym I used to work at, but 
that client was was borderline malevolent. We're talking about verbally abusive, just some stuff. And, and I went to my manager, basically. And my manager at the time, I mean, commercial gym managers are not all cut from the same cloth you are. So <laughs> yeah, that's uh, this was not an individual who had the best interests of the, the gym or the staff in mind. But nonetheless, still took the client on himself. And then mm. later he was the... Um, the target of the, the the client's nasty behavior. And then I remember there were some complaints online about a third trainer who had taken that client over at a different club. So there, there's a pattern there. And mm-hmm. I always look inward to say, all right, what could I have done better? What could I do to control the situation and communicate better? Whatever. That's one of those ones where I sleep okay at night and I absolve myself and go, okay, cool. That, this is, that was a bit beyond me. In a handful of cases, I've had people wanting return who I just... For very good reasons, I did not feel good about. So I politely declined to take them back as clients. Um, it, it can be a simple thing as just saying, hey, you know, like my schedule's way too busy. I can refer you to someone else. Mm-hmm. I've never had to actually turn to a client and say, hey, this isn't working. We need to end this. I've definitely had a few people that I just kind of let themselves go and work their way out um, who work good for my energy or well-being, whether they were just really unreliable. But these are the vast min- minority of the clientele. The overwhelming majority of people I work with have been nothing short of incredible. Nice. There's a book that actually tackles this directly. It's called Book Yourself Solid by Michael Port. Okay. Um, great resource. It goes directly into this topic of conversation. At its heart, it's really a book about when you surround yourself with people that have good energy and your own energy is better that you're putting out into the world. It sounds kind of woo. It sounds like books like uh, The Alchemist or The Secret, which yep. get kind of wooey. But at its heart is if anybody listening has ever gone through a day or a week or a period of time where everything was really positive and they're in a good space, and it just felt like good things came back at them, it's because like, people pick up on all these subtle cues. It's not just what we say, but body language and expressions and eye contact which all matter in a personal training relationship. And so your clients feel that. And so that client then turns around and wants to stay. And that client wants to refer you business and feels good about like, Hey, my, my friend Marlene would just love to work with you. Whereas if you have anxiety and negativity, if you're bringing heavy personal shit into those situations, you're having those conversations with clients. Well, that negativity permeates and all the members, this goes back to what I was saying about your floor presence and your engagement. Not every member is thinking about, Hey, hiring a trainer. And a lot of people literally will say, you know, oh, I would never hire a trainer. But then they turn around. They're all still imagining if I ever did hire a trainer, which one of these trainers on this gym floor would be the one that I would hire. This episode is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, which publishes curiosity-driven stories, topical newsletters, and locally focused podcasts, all in the service of informing Edmontonians about their community. The Pulse. Want to start your day informed? Check out The Pulse, Taproot's new daily news briefing. The Pulse tells you what you need to know about Edmonton every weekday morning. You'll get short, informative updates about what's happening at City Hall, plus coverage of business, tech, food, the arts, and more. You'll also get a bit of whimsy from features such as a moment in history, chart of the week, and the Friday podcast pick. And it's free. Sign up today at taprootedmonton.ca slash pulse. That's taprootedmonton.ca slash pulse. Exactly. It's how that trainer's presence is so demanded 
inside the club. That's so accurate, Andrew. Because we literally will have some people go to me or they'll go directly to the trainer. Be like, hey, I just see the way you are with clients on the floor. I, I'm ready. I don't want no starter pack, none of that. I'm ready. It has happened to me an astonishing number of times. And I'm proud to say that. Um, you know, I, I know I was hanging out with one of your team, Brandon Elric, today. Nice. A really great guy. And I awesome know that guy. Brandon has that kind of presence on the floor. Yes. Just simply because I know Brandon. But he was sitting next to me at the seminar today at uh, Jordan Shallow and his team for Prescript. Really great guy. Right? I And I'm not even worried. I think he's the longest tenured staffer there, is he He not? definitely is, especially yeah. at our location. And what I love about him is it's continuous development. It is this, uh, this never-ending, like, the process of development he hones in on and it's so cool to just witness that growth on a day-to-day weekly basis and and he admits it i'm sure he doesn't mind me admitting this and saying it on air where it's like he knows that he's putting on a hat when he comes into the gym he's like okay i'm not brandon i'm I'm personal trainer brandon like i need i need to own that when i'm on the floor because we all talk about it at work is we're on stage we're on stage in front of our client they are literally being charged at least a dollar a minute so how are we going to make every minute count? And, you know, him and him, myself, some of our trainers, we've been guilty of it. Burnout's a thing in our industry. Mm-hmm. But it's like, yeah, there might be that day or that moment where, okay, yeah, maybe we are going to be slouching. We're not really there. But at least we've either voiced it out to our client or we're making that up in some capacity. It's, it's talking to yourself and being like, okay, maybe I do need to catch a break. I've been, you know, working 21 days straight. I need to just make sure I give myself some rest. And I always tell trainers, I'm like, guys, what are you doing? yourself like how are you ensuring your sleep is optimized you're eating you're getting your workouts in like we're, we're, we need to talk about personal goals because we're dealing with at least a dozen people's personal goals and we can't just sit here and be hypocrites and do that for others but not do it ourselves and that's why andrew i've heard this i don't know if you have it drives me nuts when a trainer goes you know i just kind of just stopped really training because like i'm just so busy training other people and it's like what did you just say? It's like you don't have time for your own workout, but you tell people that they need to have time for their own. It drives me nuts, man. There's a couple of dimensions to that particular conversation. I mean, one is the fact that in order to be able to ask other people, to have the credibility to ask other people to find the time and make these changes in their life or whatever, I mean, I think we need to be walking, talking examples of it. There's always the, oh, should your trainer be in shape? And that's a very, A, it's a low-hanging fruit. People are usually... There's so much things that so many things that people post in our industry, and they're really just looking for quick hits that confirm the bullshit that everybody believes. And there's nothing constructive about that conversation. It's the whole thing. Oh, would you train with a quote fat trainer? And some people hearing that are going to be uncomfortable with that language. All right, let's just deal with it on its face. And there will be a lot of clientele who will absolutely judge what they see, and we have to understand that that's a truth. At the same time, what a trainer looks like is not representative of what their knowledge and their skill set is. But you are doing yourself a disservice as a trainer if you are struggling to be busy and you are, quote, visibly out of shape. And that can take a lot of different dimensions, whether it's a really weak power lifter or the, the, the competitive dude who's, like, visibly overweight or yeah. the general population trainer who just doesn't move well and doesn't look like they're in shape. Okay? Complicated language around that. But... The thing that you probably should focus your time and effort on instead of being frustrated about what's not working in your business is to take personal ownership of your own fitness because, I mean, that's the business we're in and do everything you can to get yourself into shape. I don't like shaming anyone for anything along those lines, but we also have to confront the reality that people do judge us based on our appearance because of the industry we work in. So we can 
wish the way the world should be, or we can take the world the way it is. And a trainer's success in many dimensions is still going to have a lot to do with what you do to take control of, well, what's within your control. And sure, there are going to be examples of people who there's things going on we don't see and know. And I, I think it's a really good reason for everybody to be very, very slow to judge anything that's going on. But you can tell a lot just from watching a coach on the floor. So I know you have trainers who are watching this. And I think anyone who's going to be taking the time to watch this already agrees with it is already there. So Yeah, no, it's so true. I, I'm really glad you brought that up because um, I, I actually, like, personally, I, I had my own struggle with realizing that I, I want to hire people that look the part. But also, it was more so recognizing that... <clears throat> It's not necessarily just about how they look. I think you put it so great there where it's like, okay, well, what, what is the very act of what they're doing right now to ensure that they're progressing themselves to be more healthy? And I, I noticed that because not every single person has this um, natural genetic gift of being able to possibly lose weight as quick as I can or uh, can you know be, be talented enough to move their body in a way that will allow them to be able to get it. And I actually... Yeah, I've I've actually had some trainers where I recognize that. Yeah, sure. To your point, they people might not glance at them and be like, "Oh, you're super fit. I'll go with you." They actually look at them and be like, "Hey, you're a real human, and you've dealt with and are dealing with real struggle." And you know, maybe you can help reshape my concept of what being healthy means. And they do that, and they're being incredibly successful at like at first surprising me, but now letting their clients know that, hey, like this is an ongoing campaign and I, I deal with this because this is actually a condition I have or this is what I'm going through. And to me, it's actually a very touching subject because it was one of those things, Andrew, where I was like, I need to now change my own perspective about this, you know? Growth mindset. So another thing yeah. we talk about abundance mindset, growth mindset too. I always try to challenge myself to be non-judgmental and to allow myself to evolve in my thoughts, especially if there's anything negative. I like using this example. Um, when you're interacting with people on the internet, and as we talked off air, um, my social media has grown a lot the last couple of years. So I have overwhelmingly positive encounters, but every once in a while someone wanders in and is, is, is a jackass. So there are obvious trolls, and that's the block button. You just get rid of that stuff. Totally. You don't even give it the time of day. You don't allow that into your, your personal emotional well-being. But there are going to be people who just disagree with you. And instead of going, well, ooh, we will speak differently or think differently about the stranger on the internet. Or the best example is the person in the car on the road next to us, behind us or in front of, in front of us, blocking us, slowing us down. Very differently than we would. You ever notice how you cross someone's path in a store and you're kind of like, oh, and you're in each other's way for a second and you, you automatically both say sorry. We're all, can well, we're Canadians and hopefully, I guess a lot of the listeners are Canadians, some are wherever else. Canadians are known for this kind of crap, right? <laughs> yeah. And that person, you're like, oh, I'm sorry. And like, nobody did anything wrong, but you're polite. Well, why are we not, why do we think that way when there's a car in front of us? Oh, this fucking asshole is a person in my way. That's somebody trying to get home to their family. Yeah, the, the middle finger that someone really puts up. I had that happen the other day. I was like, I'm and going 100. Like, what's that, your problem? And that happens. But I think if we start by recognizing that we treat people differently when they're in cars or strangers on the internet than we do the person in front of us. And if we can start with ourselves, because we, we can't change the world. We can't change what other people do. You start with you. And if you 
get in this more peaceful place about what the other drivers around you are doing, or you're more, and I like this language, more charitable in your interpretation of other people and what they're doing. Like when you make a mistake on the road, we've all done it. We accidentally cut someone off or just didn't see a vehicle or whatever, or get like squeezed out. And like, you have to squeeze in to make your turn and someone honks at you. Well, when someone does it, you fucking asshole, inconsiderate, whatever. But, But you were just jammed up. You're running late. You're doing the best you can. You're not a bad person. So we attribute that. And there's, I can't remember the hell, a fundamental attribution error. I think it is. But we attribute their behaviors to them being a bad person. Whereas when we do it, oh, it's, it's a behavior in the moment. It's not reflective of who we are. So if we could take this kind of thinking into all of our other interactions with people and the person who's like, I've had in the old commercial gym, occasionally you'd have like members doing dumb shit or whatever and create conflict. But if you could take a step back and go, okay, well, we don't know what happened that person's day. You know, is that person having a fight with their, their, with their spouse or, you know, is like literally, I mean, how many of our clients have come in? It's like one of my clients this week, um, she had to put her cat down, five-year-old cat and she's broken hearted over it. Um, we've all had clients who've lost immediate family members and then you're just there for them and present with them. We've had clients who are going through breakups and divorces. And, and everyone's walking into that gym. I mean, earphones are on, but there's things in their head that they're trying the to be stuff. solving, so right? We've all dealt with tons of this stuff. So why we why would we just assume that everybody, the, the people that we have this problem with or whatever their behavior is, that that person is fundamentally, inherently a malevolent asshole? Maybe there's a better explanation. Good so point. to my original point, because I wandered around, on the internet, when someone wanders in and is difficult well how could i be more charitable in my interpretation of where they're coming from so sometimes people just want to be heard listen to them try to be thoughtful about it and if you're careful about it you can turn a detractor into a fan it's like again you know the the gym companies we work with if you have someone who's really really happy for a very long time as a member or a client and then something happens something bad happens there's some sort of mix up whatever then you could lose that person if the next step is mishandled. But if you turn around and deliver on killer customer service, make amends for the mistake, own it, and just, hey, I'm going to make this up to you, that's usually when you create a much more loyal customer in those kind of moments. So if we... and, And one of the things I think this goes to is if we... There's a delicate balance, but if we take ownership, like the book Extreme Ownership, Jocko Willing kind of goes... It does the best job of explaining this. If we take extreme ownership of the situation, let's use one of your trainers as an example, where maybe they make a mistake, something bad happens, and you have two choices. You can berate that trainer and be like, oh, this trainer fucked up, and you know, now we've got to deal with this mess, and blah, blah, blah. Or you, you could literally look at it and go, okay, well, where's the opportunity here? What could I have done? It's not about like beating up on yourself, but what could I have done to educate, communicate, teach, put this trainer in a, in a position where they wouldn't have made this mistake, or this, this mishap wouldn't have happened, and, and how can I both reassure this trainer, but also help so that way this sort of situation doesn't happen again to this individual trainer, but you also then inoculate other trainers against this particular mistake. And there's two fundamental philosophies. And we can take this philosophy through anything we do in life with within our immediate relationships, within our work environment, with our coworkers, our clientele. And if we take every opportunity to go, all right, what was my role in this? And even if your role was nothing, and you, at the end of the day, go, okay, I've reflected on this. I really realize this was outside of my control. Okay, you sleep a little bit better at night. You know. And it's again, it's not about assigning blame. 
It's about, okay, where can I take some more responsibility and proactively prevent this situation from happening again? Yeah. Wow. That's brilliant. Uh, two things really come to mind there, Andrew. The like, first and foremost, I think it's important for people to hear based off of, like, I love how you put turning a hater into a fan just based off of really just taking a second to listen and hear where they're coming from and why that's their perspective and not being afraid to actually entertain a conversation with that individual in a safe manner. You know, I, I've been guilty of it. I think many of us in my own friend circle are like, oh, that person's a hater. Just leave them alone, ignore it, right? Block, delete. And when we are influencers or when we are to a degree people that are putting ourselves out there, we are taking that risk of recognizing that as much as we're developing a niche, everyone's going to be hearing it. And someone is going to be open to provide their interpretation of how they per- perceive the information you gave them. And it's all up for debate on how people look at things, but it's important to then realize that, hey, you know what? You're taking, let's just say, a small little tweet I just put out, and you're kind of looking at it in your own world, but let me just show you where I'm coming from and why I decided to write something like that. You know, and uh, again, I think the second point that really struck when you mentioned about like just owning how you could have made things better, like I chose no matter how big of a mistake a trainer makes, because at the end of the day, clients feel way more open to say it to the manager, right? quick courtesy call how are things are going sometimes you know they call first and when that happens i know it's even more serious and i actually had this happen recently it was someone that needed to get passed on to one of my uh, trainers because their existing one had to move on to uh, different uh, obligations Um, it was actually like something that they needed to do outside of work so they had to bring down their workload so he called me after a day the new trainer was going to renew him to a new contract. And he said, listen, I would just like to take my last few sessions and work with another trainer. And that's always disappointing to hear, right? Because clearly something didn't work out. And I'll never forget where I know this isn't just the trainer's fault, it's my fault. It was one of those like learning opportunities, right? Where he said, well, you know what? First and foremost, great personality. You know, he says he, he's a great guy to be around, but they're just, there needs to be more customization in my programming, right? He's like, I, I, I felt the difference between how so-and-so did it and how they're doing it, right? So I just noticed there was a lack of, hey, two, three sessions in, how are you liking the program? What can we change? What can we keep doing? Is this, is this fitting your expectations? And then when I asked, okay, do you have any feedback for me on how I should approach this? He said straight up, he said, you know, Kenny, I feel like we wouldn't have had this problem if you just called me and said, how are things going? Two, three sessions in. So I own that right away because right off the bat, I'm trying my best to keep him with this person. I said, listen, we'll make those changes. I'll speak with him. Let, let's show him how he's able to do this for you the next five. And then if you want to switch, we will. But he said, no, you know what? I just feel more comfortable. And he's like, I'm telling you, Kenny, if it was just two sessions in, I would have just respected that call from you. Just, you know, you, you switch it up. He's like, it's okay. He's like, I understand. You got a whole you know, team to train, but I would have really appreciated that. And I think we wouldn't have even had this conversation. Mm. And again, it was that wake-up call to realize that we can't just point the finger at someone when we have four other fingers pointing back at us. And it's, it's one of those situations where we have to hone in on, you know, if it's a client or a manager, whatever someone's coming in from, where we're so quick to want to get mad at the guy, right? And I learned... Managing relationships, whether it's your clients or trainers, Andrew, is just as close as how you'd want to manage your relationship with your significant other or with your family. And I'll never forget when one of my friends said this. He said, Kenny, he said, I live by this now, where 
and it relates to what I'm saying, where he's like, a friend told me, he's like, I live by this, is if we feel like it's not a good idea to raise our voice at an employee or coworker, why would we do that with a significant other? And now we're relating that to, okay, I want to create a work environment where I'm not going to make someone feel like shit. I could have easily been like, hey, man, you fucked up. Like, you're, you're not getting this guy anymore. But no, I'm not going to do that because he's going to walk into work the next day. And he's told me he left from how he felt about previous management because he felt like he was never doing anything right. And, you know, we could talk about sensitivities and we could talk about different personalities here. But people want to know how to do something better and not be like diminished in how they feel now. You know, they, they, they want to feel uplifted they, and, and they want to be asked how they can do it better. And I'm so glad, Andrew, in that situation, I didn't tell him. I learned never tell. Just be like, what do you think we could do better based off this information I was given? And it, I always feel like I go in those situations as like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the bearer of bad news. But if anything, it's great to see if you handle it in the way I feel like you've mentioned, back to your point, you actually gain more respect just by being more of a set of ears. You know, that's what I really got out of what you said. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of books that you just kind of like jumped into um i'm a big <clears throat> big reader I, I listen to a ton of audiobooks i drive nice. whenever like crush audiobooks uh the lost art of listening and just you hit on that sort of things actually kind of a long book but it really goes into it i love it um the coaching habit by what the guy, michael stainer i think his name is i can't remember the author of the, the lost art of listening but look it up the coaching habits one of the best books i've read this year and then the author has a companion it's called the advice trap and you alluded to it. It's not just going into advice mode, whether it's with the client or the employee or the significant other, but it's to listen and ask a lot of questions. And it's cliche to say, ask a lot of questions, but you ask a lot of questions. The right kind of questions. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say it has to be the right ones. Um, I've had people, I've had people be like, why are you asking me these questions? I've, I've had those times where they weren't the right I'll, I'll just leave this one here. If, if there's a coach or trainer, or honestly, anybody who works in management or anything like that, the book, The Coaching Habit, really worth reading. It's a very short and easy read. It goes through seven types of questions that are going to, it actually changed the way I had conversations. And again, I'm on <clears throat> year number 12 within my career. <clears throat> and I read voraciously to try to, you know, improve skills where possible well i love how into behavior change you are you know like you you care a lot about the psychological aspects of how someone is improving themselves mentally and physically and spiritually rather but like i just want to know how much you balance that with learning more information about training like do you have this formula in your head are you kind of like man 12 years into the game I care more about learning about there the psychology is, aspect. There is no formula. So, A, I came out of a two-day training seminar, which is on biomechanics. And I actually learned some things. You know, it, there's a, a model that I've developed over the years and through just learning and absorbing stuff from so many different people. And then there's what the muscle doc, Jordan Schall. Jordan's a great guy. And what he's come up with with his stuff. And I enjoyed it. I took a lot from it. A lot of the stuff aligned with what I was thinking, but it presented some things in some really new novel ways. I'm just like, I really like this. I got to dive deeper. And I do try to read some things on training, but I think it's a trap that trainers get caught up in where they're seeking more and more knowledge. And I always use this analogy. It's like, it's the 11th article you read on how to do a Romanian deadlift properly. 
you know that. A lot of trainers are really good with their basics of their nutrition. Certainly the stuff that will work for most of the clients we'll have in front of us. Where are you struggling? It's not because you can't teach a good Romanian deadlift. It's because you need to work on your business acumen, your behavior change skills, your, your habit, so your, your coaching skills. And so where's the deficiency in this stuff? So I think a lot of trainers would be better served by reading books on, and when I say books on sales, it's not about the stereotypical sleazy sales, like car, you know, stereotypes, car dealership stereotypes. It's about understanding, being comfortable asking for business because you're confident in what you can do to change someone's life for the better. And you're going to get better at the confidence and lifestyle change if you're actually a better coach and if you understand behavior change. So I'll drop books. The book Switch by Chip and Dan Heath, a really great book on behavior change. Start there. Atomic Habits, James Clear. Amazing dude. On love that one. Stacking habits and finding four different oh, ways of breaking stuff. down a habit. I love it. Yeah. I met James in 2017 at a fitness conference. He's a really authentically nice guy before he even wrote the book. That's awesome. Great book. Go read it. Easy, easy to access. Get into that stuff. Get into stuff on your own mindset. Uh, we talk a lot about mindset, you know, growth mindset. Uh, there's a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck. Mm-hmm. Great book if you want to embrace that. Um, the Obstacle is the Way, Ryan Holiday. His stuff's phenomenal. I read that in 2016 at a really pivotal point in my career, major inflection where I was dealing with one of the biggest obstacles I had within my career. And it was exactly what I needed at that time to help me work through that problem. Do you mind sharing that or is it personal? It's professional. I chose to leave the commercial gym that I used to be at. Now, I think I'm comfortable now sharing aspects out there. There are things that I will leave out. But my working environment had become a hostile working environment. Now, I also developed a reputation as being hard to work with. And I'm comfortable with that. I worked to work past it. But it's in large part due to having also been around a number of people who were sexually harassing staff and members. Um, and this sort of thing was not being dealt with. There was a lot of predatory multi-level marketing recruitment going on yeah. within the location I was at. And the management certainly didn't, you know, the club level, and now actually I had some good club level managers because many turned over and some of them are good friends of mine to this day. Some are not. Some are not people I have a good relationship with. Yeah. And that's fine. But the situation had escalated to the point where I was being harassed and lied about and I needed to leave. So ultimately I was honorable and I completed all my obligations and I chose to leave and go off to evolve. And it was one of those situations where my clientele were overwhelmingly loyal to me and within of course the, the, the rules and the contracts and legalities of it, they just are like, no, we're, we're just coming with you, wherever yeah. you're going, we're chasing you and that's it in the story. So that worked out fine. But it was dealing with the, the harassment and the difficulties and the stress of being threatened with my career. And again, I'll, I'll leave those sort of details out. That's fair. Uh, yeah. Just because I just don't want to get in the muck of that. But that organization ultimately, the writing was on the wall and a lot of us knew it. And so I left and a lot of other people followed me out. And then there were more trouble because I had been involved with, you know, helping facilitate more of those people leaving. It's all been resolved. It, we came out great out of it all. We're talking some legalities. Yeah. But all went well. Good. And, but also, I, I was really left to feel like, hey, I'm the one who's the problem and I'm the one who's hard to work with because I expect a certain standard of professionalism. 
what really happened is a lot of people wanted to come and work in the same space with me. Friends of mine, people who've been the ones who worked hard and put their heads down and focused on their clients and, and had integrity and were professional. And then we have a great environment where we have a whole bunch of contra- independent contractors who work in the same space and other friends of mine. Um, I don't know if you've ever had Michael Dietrich on the show. Mike's a good... Oh, the, poli- the officer. Michael Are Dietrich. You- oh, okay. Mountain Sorry, Mike. that's a different Michael. Um, Mountain Mike. So Mike's got a very big social media brand. He's jiu-jitsu guy. He has an eye surgery or... Not, ju- not jiu-jitsu. So mm. he's, uh, he's got his dog, Bear Bear. So I okay, suspect a lot of listeners will know who he is because he's yeah. one of the more prominent personal trainers in Edmonton's history. Now he's really just about his outdoor stuff now. But Mike and I have been friends for 11 years. Um, you know, I met him very early on our journey. And then... He'd been out of the city gyms uh, a few years back for a very long time. And we got to talking and he decided, I pulled him over into coming to Evolve and it revitalized him. He found joy in it again, being a part of that community. Mike was, when I realized I had to get out of this environment, the old environment, Mike was my first phone call. And we sat down and he listened to what I had to say and he really reassured me about how he'd done it on his own. So, um, you know, Mike and I sat down and had dinner at my place, you know, a few months ago when just before he just jumped in his van and he lives in his van with his dog and travels around all over. That's awesome. Good human being. Anyone who's listening, go follow Mike on his social media. He's, he's, he's authentic. He's really, really cool. Uh, if you're into outdoor adventure, hiking, cycling, skiing, that's that sort awesome. of stuff. He shows it all. Tons of it. Uh, but just an example of like, I've been very lucky to have a lot of really good people around me. And yeah, I've worked to, to shed that impression that I'm the difficult one to work with. I, but again, I'm also not willing to compromise on standards where I think our industry should be. I'm more inclined now to try to lead by example through my, through my media. And yeah, that's completely fair that given, given the circumstance, sometimes it's just, it's really tough for those who are in the personal training industry. Uh, let's say I'm a prime example right now where you know, possibly one day you want to run your own academy. You want to be able to, you know, build your own name and and you want to brand yourself. And I'll, I'll be transparent. I'll share this online where I am. You could say among the few who are becoming and being developed into possibly a really high level leadership position. But then you you can't help but for someone like myself look at it where you could keep going down that path, but you know you don't want it to be forever, and then you get opportunities right now that could make you go away from ever wondering what that could be like. So you're constantly in this um, state of being pulled. And personally for me, Andrew, I feel it because it's like I've always naturally been like, oh, every year and a half or two and a half years, oh, let's find something new and shiny to do. And now I force myself to say, hey, no matter what changes happen – I'm staying in the fitness industry. That's that's for certain. Before I'd be job hopping, but I'm uh, yeah. I mean, you get the friends, you get the family. Hey man, you're like, I think now's the time. I think now's the time. But you're also like, you guys don't see forty hours of my workday and how special and good it feels. And like, when you have now in the double digits trainers that go to you and say, hey, like, we don't know where we'd be without you. Like that's such a special feeling. But feeling. you just have to recognize like what your worth is, but also how much work you're doing that makes you feel like you're making a contribution. And it sounds like you were kind of getting a, a feeling that that wasn't the case with what you were dealing with. And then, well, you know, I, I was never in the management role as well. Fair, I, was expect, yeah. I was both expected to be a leader, but I, again, I didn't want anything on the management 
side of it because yeah, completely I, different role. I would right? rather work with my clients and I'm really grateful that I never thought of the idea of going to management. You alluded to some things about brand and, and medium, whatever. Mm-hmm. There will always be people in our industry who will prefer to be employed, who will prefer to have the support of the organization. Yeah, they will like that. A, I'm not sure if many people listening will have heard of Stronger You. So that's a, a friend of mine, Mike Dola's American company. He just he still he's the founder. He just sold it to a very large entity, but he's still running it. And it's an online nutrition thing. So if anyone knows who Dean Guido is, Dean's local. Dean's a, a coach. He is now a coach with Stronger You for nutrition. I created that introduction. I brought Dean to an event in 2018 and met Mike Dola. Dean and I, you, you alluded to my podcast. Dean was my co-host for three years until him and his wife had a baby and just handed it off to me solo. Dean's a really great guy. So anyone in the Edmonton fitness community, go follow Dean Guido. He's He's fucking around with the uh, the liver king, if you've heard of him, by something with Amish stuff on his media right now. Oh, no way. I, I, I'm not even going to try to explain it because he's <laughs> yeah. very esoteric and out there with this stuff. Yeah. But you can go have some fun with him. He's a big proponent of walking more. Yeah. Uh, that's his whole thing right now. But get, a, get the steps in. Get that Apple Watch ready. Um, let me bring that back to where we were talking about it. Mike Dola, Stronger You. He's got a legion of coaches underneath him who... Mike and the brand are what attracts a lot of people to their business. And then the coaches just take care and service those clients. And that's an honorable and great thing. There are other people who are really going to want to or feel better or be capable of stepping out into their own brand. Um, I am a very good example of that. Just, just with the stuff we've talked about where I enjoy writing for big publications. That's not something that everybody wants to do. Like, being asked to write for T Nation and Generation Iron, amongst others, pretty big honor. Like, I'm proud of that. I, I wear that very forward-facing as part of my brand and who I am, right? The fact that I have my own podcast. The fact that now social media has grown significantly to where I am being asked to present at events. Like, um, if anyone's heard of Kabuki Strength. It's coming up. Kabuki Education Week. And you're so being I, asked to present on how to grow a larger social media presence. Yeah. And that, that's incredible. Like, that's really Because cool. you've done not only just training, but you've <clears> been a huge, great case study on how you, someone can leverage that really quickly. And I've been trying very hard to actually show the world that that's in front of me uh, how you can do this, right? As opposed to... You see a lot of people with larger followings, and, and I have friends who bought their followers, and, and I'm like, I'm, I don't call them on it, but I know. I <laughs> you like, know who they you, are. I, I, I battled with that debate someone, for so long. I, just, I, I, I saw a new follower today, and I'm like, oh, this guy's got forty thousand plus followers. Okay, cool. And, and I'm like twenty him. people liking his stuff. Yeah, it was sixty, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, so I know what's going on there, and it's like, I, I get it. I understand the allure of the shortcut. So, I think we were talking about this off air, and I think it's really worth going into. I did, it applies to coaches, personal trainers, but it kind of applies to anybody who, you know nowadays where it's really about creating a personal brand, whatever industry you're in. There are so many things that you can do to establish credibility to back up more than just like social media tactics and social media growth. There are some things you can do there. But for personal trainers, for example, are you working on a good YouTube channel? Right? You can put yourself out there with YouTube. There are a lot of coaches who, first and foremost... Or as part of other media, became really, really strong on YouTube. People like Jeff Nippard and Lane Norton. Um, Jordan Syed is one of many things that he's done, if people are familiar with these people. 
you can write. So you can write for your own website, your own blog. That's how I started. That turned into these other writing venues. It sounds to me like what you're, you're going at, and I'll let you continue, but like this never-ending content generation campaign, constantly putting content out there, free information. And content is absolutely one piece of this puzzle. And those are some of the main vehicles. This podcast is a piece of long-form content. It's more than just social media. You share it on your social media, but you have an engaged, devoted following. Everybody listening, quick question. Have you given this podcast, have you given Kenny a review? Have you given him a five-star? Have you gone in and done something to show some support for this? That's awesome. Right? I, I think that. that stuff gets gets forgotten. So... But the podcast is a wonderful example of a piece of career capital, I like to say it. And there's all sorts of other things we can do. Um, and it's not as simple as going and building a successful business. But if anybody has heard of Renaissance Periodization, my friend Mike Isertel and Nick Shaw, RP is a very big entity. There's two, two bro bodybuilder personal trainers that they're super well educated. But these couple of guys who are just a couple of meatheads that turn in this thing and worked at it, worked at it, worked at it over the years. And now it's a big reputable entity. I just mentioned Kabuki strength, yeah. Chris Duffin. He's a legendary power lifter. He turned around and turned it into a, I guess a, a strength training equipment manufacturer and awesome. media brand, right? Education brand. Or if you've heard of Chad Wesley Smith and juggernaut, uh, training systems, like there's so many other ones, precision nutrition. Again, um, again, I mentioned stronger. You, there's lots of that. Or, Maybe you're the person who's built a brand around a physical facility. I was just at Cody Gonick's place, the vault on the, mm. you know, in the West end, yep. which is where Jordan shallow was. And you know, Cody was a personal trainer, stepped out and like opened his own place. This place is gorgeous, right? I think it's 4,000 square feet. You know, he's nice. got a team of eight coaches in there, all independent contractors. It's awesome. great gym. So you're a successful gym owner. You're working on that. So that's a huge thing, whether it's Luca Hose of our Invigor Ground in Seattle, in the Seattle area or Joe DeFranco in New Jersey, DeFranco's gym. If anyone's heard of Joe DeFranco, great. If you've not, maybe you've heard of Triple H, the WWE wrestler. His coach, right? So his coach, exactly. Yeah. So you know. Um, and there's a lot of other examples of Pete Dupuy and Eric Cressy and Tony Jellicor originally with Cressy Sports Performance. So these are very big pieces of legitimizing you know, capital that you you have behind your career. There's a lot more. If you've ever writ, you know, read a book by a prominent person in the fitness industry, I don't. I, I'm not sure many people would have read Nick Winkleman's A Language of Coaching. It's incredible. Or Brett Bartholomew's Conscious Coaching. Great stuff. Or any of Martin Rooney's stuff. Martin's got a whole bunch of books. Or John Goodman. Right? John's a good friend. John's written 11 books to date, and most of it is around making personal trainers better at the business of personal training. Love if you've that. read Ignite the Fire, it's Jonathan Goodman stuff. Yep. So a lot of the time when someone finds your social media or something you've shared, and immediately they come to my bio and they go, ooh, this guy writes for TV Nation, this guy writes for Generation Iron, is giving them a reason that, and a piece of credibility to say, oh, this is someone that I can follow. Because someone following you is still giving of their time. Yeah, We're not entitled to it. We have to earn it every step of the way. And if you're putting out really great content consistently, but on top of it, you have all these other things that it's in your bio that, oh, that guy's the owner of, of Crisis Sports Performance. Or, whoa, that's the owner of Kabuki Strength. Yeah. Or um, Precision Nutrition or whatever. All of them are building this this element of, of putting education out there and creating an institution behind it in some way, shape, or form. And there's another one, is being an educator. So that comes yeah. to your forms. But if you're recognized as someone who is speaking and presenting at these different events, 
that goes a long way to legitimizing you in the eyes of, well, certainly the fitness industry and other coaches, but, uh, you know, hopefully as well with enthusiasts. But the, the point really is just, there's just so many things we can do. And I know some people will be like, oh, I can't just go start a gym. Well, some people have, but maybe that's not your thing. Yep. Maybe you're interested in writing. Go write a blog. Go start a podcast. Go do a YouTube channel. The, the podcast was really where it started with me. I was always interested in writing. I read books on writing. I've studied it. I wanted to be good at it. You found methods that you like already enjoy. Like, and I have to say this on air because I find it funny because everyone always asks me and I ask them and we have a laugh and we're like, hey, whenever Andrew Coates messages you back, does he do it in a voice recording fashion? <laughs> and everyone's like, yes. And I'm like, I swear, he's just practicing for his podcast. But it's just methods you like. You like to I argue talk, but also write. <laughs> you there's, do it in different ways. There, there's reasoning behind that. So uh, I'll, I'll be honest. It's funny. I like sending voice. I don't like getting voice back very much because I actually find it's harder for me to consume. Because I'll send like a quick, concise voice message. Yeah. And then I get a minute long one back. That's like kind of meandering. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, yeah. I, I'm trying to like be really efficient with my time, but I also like really care that people would even make the effort. So then I thought, like, this person took a minute of their time to message me. So it, I sound like a total hypocrite. But. I, I do it because, A, I find it's a very quick and easy thing because I get tired of typing. Yeah. Um, and if I've caught like a minute between clients and I'm like, okay, client's coming in, or they're two minutes late, I can look, oh, there's like three messages, three people just shared this post. A quick, hey, like I really appreciate that. And hearing your voice, I think it, it came from two places. One, it came from my buddy uh, PJ Street, who's another Tunisian guy. And he's really big on sending voice messages to his online clients because he's a big online client, uh, online trainer. Yeah. And it's so much more personal and it really makes you feel connected. And take it one step further, send them a quick video. And okay, so um, iPhone users, iMessage is you can send voice messages or, or videos or on Instagram or even Facebook Messenger. So you now have that option with everything. So there's that. Um, and there's another thing that I didn't want to miss. Oh, um, then I said, I just said a, a text-based thank you for following to, a, you know, an account. And then the person responded back and they thought it was like an autoresponder. And I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, you know what? Valid. <laughs> so, and, and subsequently, in some of the people I've messaged in that fashion, have turned around and like, oh, I, I get a lot of wow responses. Like, that's the, I've never had that happen before. And because, especially if I'm doing it because, like, the following has grown, people are just, like, blown away that you could do it. And I can't catch everyone. It just it's feels impossible. more genuine. And, yeah, you can't get yeah. everyone. Otherwise, I mean, how are you going to do everything else you're doing seven and, days and a week? It's open doors to, to interactions and, and relationships and positive stuff. It's more personable. I feel like and, that's what it really and is. So then you take your social media that way. Like, if you just, like, soak up follows and you're not responding to comments, I, I get it. It's been harder and harder for me to respond to all the comments. I genuinely try. I respond to any message that comes in. That's always really important to me. But if you want people to actually care about you or be interested in what you're doing, well, you have to show that you're actually grateful that you, you have them there too. And that it, it's hard to find the time and the bandwidth to really like do a lot of interactions like that. But at the same time, I do try to make the ones I get a chance to do meaningful. Yeah, no, totally. And it resonates through and through. I mean, every single person, Andrew, that you brought in front of my attention that we've hired at Good Life have said nothing but, you know, good things about you and even just our interactions through and through. Like, I hope people understand that this is the first time I'm actually, like, sitting down with Andrew outside the one seminar we went to together. And it just shows, man, like, you, you take a lot of time, effort, and energy to, like, really 
get to know where people are at. And, you know, through and through, man, more than once, you've been kind enough to share the fact that I'm looking for new trainers. And I think two things there. Number one, you're a great friend, like, to do that. But number two, you genuinely care about growing um, the personal training industry in the right direction. And that clearly shows in recognizing that I think you and me can say this. We can't do that all on our own. You know, it takes a nation. It takes a community of people who are like-minded. And um, I just want to, of course, respect your time. I know we could keep going on this episode. but I'm good. I've got time. Yeah? We'll jam. Awesome, man. We'll jam. I I did want to, you know, ask you something that might help, let's say, trainers in the beginning to understand, like, or even just in general, like if you personally know through educators that may be able to change this, because you're more in the space, I hear it a lot. And I'll never forget when uh, my new hire, Caroline, she's fantastic. 17 amateur boxing fights. She's, she's going to Mexico to fight in a month. And she's like six clients in right now, like six weeks in. It's awesome. Great. And she just goes, Kenny, I'm going to tell you something. And I'm like, Caroline, let's hear it. She said, this past three weeks at Good Life, she's like, why have I not learned a single thing about how to sell on a single certification that I've done? And she brought up a good point, right? And I just first and foremost said, Carolyn, uh, I'm going to be biased here, but I'm going to share with you that you come to Good Life under my management, you're going to be in good hands. I'm going to teach you everything on how you need to show up. I'm going to give you, for lack of a better term, scripts, but also mix those scripts in with your personality. I don't want you to just be a robot, but I want you to recognize that I'm going to create a model for you and a system on how you can actually have more confidence going into a situation for someone to purchase training for you to do what you want to ultimately do. So I tell everyone, even prior to, I'm like, you're going to have to learn how to sell yourself. How confident are you at it? And some people are honest. They're like, I'll be honest. I don't, I'm not really confident, but I'm willing to learn. If that willingness to learn is there, it's just, I find that I do wish there was some element of sales training protocol or anything that was a mandatory thing or not a surprise for trainers coming into a commercial gym or ready to step into evolve and be a business owner you know i think there's a lot of dimensions to it I mean, first of all i think so many the, the certifications we we know how limited the certifications are in their ability to prepare trainers to actually coach people right you're newly minted trainer on the floor i was that a long time ago you know, I felt overwhelmed the first week. I didn't feel like I, I knew what I was doing. I, I definitely felt like uh, I had my doubts if I so even work out. It's funny looking back at that after, you know, the, the length of time it's been. I was lucky I had a really good, you know, guy to start with. Uh, an old manager of mine, Calvin Hexter, was really cool, you know, getting me in there. My buddy Aaron Silverman was like, was also a trader there. And he lured me in there, kept bugging me to come work with him. I'm like, no, nah, man, no. But... Sales, you said it. It's it's selling yourself. It's you use the word confidence. If someone is confident in their ability to coach and help people, which comes with time, part of part of getting better at sales is time, yeah. and it's almost an unrealistic expectation. Every once in a while, you get a trainer who's just like really great at it on day one. A lot of it is just in being personable and people skills. And if you can talk to people and relate to people and have people like you. And it's easier to go through life with those skills because the more positive interaction you have, just generally the easier your days are and the happier you are. And that's how I look at it. Yeah. Then the more people are going to want to train with you. Um, one of the best sales skills you can possibly develop is to just take a really good, take really good care of the client in front of you to the point where they refer you business. I've, m- referrals have been my lifeblood for my entire career. Word of mouth. Never I get ends. a lot of stuff through social media now, but that's literally the last couple of years. I certainly 
like I would write on Facebook a lot over the years and, and I wanted to make sure here's a hint for traders be very constantly be top of mind in your existing network. All the people you've ever worked at past job with friends and family, um, mm. your, your friends and acquaintances have those people on your social media. It used to be Facebook. Now it's more Instagram. Maybe it's TikTok for some people don't write off TikTok. It's not my thing, but you know, look at where people are and where you can kind of showcase what you're doing. You may not feel a lot of confidence in what you know and what you're doing, but if you're able to help a client in front of you right off the hop in the gym, then you know enough to share it with the people that are in your immediate world. And if those people see it and see it, maybe it's six months, maybe it's three years, but later on down the road, someone's going to reach out to you and say, Hey, you know, I want to talk to you about training because you are the top of the, you are their go-to fitness person. Your top of mind. Yeah, top of mind. So you, you want to establish that early and often and, and do that. So it's one of the reasons why I am an advocate for having a social media presence, whether or not you have a particularly big following. And then go and follow and interact with or, or friend the people that you know. And if you're one of those people, oh, no, I just want this for friends and family. I don't want to be on social media. I get it. I respect it. You're going to have to work a little bit harder. So you better work on those referrals and those relationships in front of you. Yeah. So sales skills. It, it does really boil down the confidence in someone's ability to help the person in front of them. And yep. I think a lot of people figure it, out, figure it out over time. I think there are some books that are really good to read. Uh, Daniel Pink's To Sell as Human is a really good one. Uh, a classic and an older one. Uh, Chet Holmes, The Ultimate Sales Machine, which is misleading because it's really about just delivering on killer service. I'm going to add something to that one too. And I actually can't wait personally. I have to tell you, I'm obviously not going to remember these, Andrew, but I'm going to listen to all this and just write down every single one of the books you shared because a lot of those I haven't read yet. And those will be brilliant. Uh, there's one that actually made me feel more raw. I always was known and I still am to a degree where I'm too nice, right? So reading The Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. I don't know if you read that one. I don't I want to I know hate you. It. You don't like it? I hate it. It's, I, sort of a, it's sort of a running joke. You say your part. Yeah, yeah. I'll say fun with it. I'll, I'll tell you what it did for me. Is it, what it did for me personally is it just made me less worried about actually not getting the sale. And more so if we're talking about it in relation to sales, because, you know, sales and marketing at the time I read it, I was working for TELUS and I was doing a mix of both. And I was like, all right, well, why waste so much time dwelling on the thought of something that's just not working when that time can be spent on someone that would actually genuinely care? And I relate that to the whole sales is a numbers game thing where it's like I tell trainers now where I let them know like, hey, listen, yeah, in a perfect world, if we got every person in front of you to respect your worth and value and we had everyone, it'd be a perfect world. But you know what? It's not. If you get one person for every 10 people you get in front of, that's a win. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole Mark Manson approach was just recognizing through a lot of what he talked about was just like, you know, be very conscientious of how you feel when you win or lose something and take those losses into consideration and see, well, what could have changed? And if you couldn't, then it's not, it's not your fault. You know, move, move onward and upward from that situation. So a I, healthy I, debate. Let's hear your perspective. No, no. Um, I, 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 again, charitable. It's Mark is a great storyteller. He's a phenomenal storyteller. Um, so is Malcolm Gladwell. I've grown to gradually dislike more and more and more Malcolm Gladwell's writing as well because I don't think Malcolm actually gives you any takeaways. And it is what it is. But there, there's some authors I just don't bother with anymore. But I, I like to call the art, the subtle art of not giving a fuck the twilight of the self, self-help self genre. <laughs> yeah. in the twilight saga. Yeah. But I always follow up by saying, but if it gets someone in the door to read 
what I think is is really good stuff that's going to help them. Honestly, most of the people who read that book love it. They get a lot out of it. It's one of the most popular top-selling books in its space. I think I I have a pet peeve about if you're going to put swearing in the title, to me it's a hint that it's not very good and you're overcompensating. It's like the... It's like the Gilbert Gottfried of the the comedians, the comedians that are excessively vulgar and loud, mm. like over the top. I mean, go back and watch old Eddie Murphy or Steve Martin. That stuff's funny. <laughs> yeah. But his delirious. You, you get some people that they're overcompensating for a lack of quality by just, it's like Kathy Griffin or Gilbert Gottfried. If anyone's like seen the old Aladdin cartoon, Gilbert Gottfried is Yago the parrot, right? This uh, yeah. Uh, and you know what? That that shtick got old really fast. He's great as Yago. That's the best thing he's ever done. But anyway, if I see swearing in the title of these books, I'm, I'm kind of like, yeah, no. Skeptical, I'm, yeah. And, and I actually use that as a heuristic for me to decide whether or not I'm interested in reading something. Because most of them don't. It's definitely a current trend to try to sell these books. But again, they're selling you know mass media stuff. It's getting stuff out there. But actually, I would encourage a lot of people to go read the book, especially if they haven't gotten out into the space a lot. And if it opens you up to reading other things, even better. There's a phrase that I pulled, and I mentioned his name earlier, um, Luca Hosevar. He's the owner of Vigor Ground. He's a he's done a lot of really cool stuff in, in the fitness industry. He's worth a follow. He's very high energy, very inspirational, very smart, very hardworking. And Lucas said this on a podcast somewhere, it stuck with me, and I've used it mercilessly, and I've told a lot of trainers to do this. If you're sitting in front of someone, and, you, and I know that feeling of being scared to ask for the business, like, yeah. how do you say it? Like, oh, here comes a moment where, oh no, I need to ask for the sale, and you're, you're scared. And how many trainers have been there where, like, as soon as someone gives you some hint of a no, like, there's a big sense of relief. All that weight is gone. You're like, okay, cool. Like, you know, you're almost like talking people in a nose. Just look someone square and smile and say, I would love to have your business. There's nothing uncomfortable or offending or threatening about that language. It's not like, oh, do you want to buy training? It's like, I would really love to coach you. I would love to work with you. I would love to have your business. And I have not had anyone, when I've used that phrase, I have not had anyone say no since. Now, I have sat in front of people who I have decided weren't good fits. I, I mentor coaches. It's not even something I wave around on my social media. But I've had interviews where someone, I'm like, this person is, is too new. They're not in the right place for this sort of thing. And I actually deliberately say to them, I only work with people who are going to sit there and emphatically look at me like, this is something I really need to do. Because I know that that's not where they are. Yeah. Because I'm in a fortunate position where my time is limited. I've actually had to say no to a fair number of the requests in my time. I have a coach that I, I train her. I mentor her. She works out of Evolve South. Her name is Bailey Lau. Yeah, she's the one that's Bailey. you posted some wicked PRs that she's had. She's on stronger your Instagram. than most men. It, and, it's she, incredible. and you look at her, and she's just like looks like an ath- athletic young woman, right? I trust her. I let her train Larry when I'm away and traveling. Nice. So she's phenomenal. We're going to be working on, a, on an online group women's strength training program for January together. It's wicked, and it's something that's designed to like really help grow her stuff. Because she, and she's doing phenomenal. She's doing amazing, but. I have someone I can trust that I can go, hey, I'm so sorry. There's no way in the world I can fit another client in my schedule. I have someone I trust. She trains Larry and they all see on my media. Would you consider talking with her? And so she's been taking care of a whole bunch of people that I've sent her way. So if I'm having a conversation with someone about it, I, over the course of the entire career and social media has helped a lot, I put myself in a position where I can 
kind of filter out and make sure that it's the right fit for me, which goes back to what we were talking about earlier with that book, Book Yourself Solid and, and having people with good energy. If I can tell that maybe this isn't a really good fit, I don't ask for the business. And, and that's the point where I can say, listen, I, I know that I really don't think I can make this work in my schedule. I have a couple people I think are incredible. And as long as like I interviewed one guy, there were some red flags all over him about like just stuff he was saying about like the way he would talk about women. There's no way in bloody hell I was referring him to anybody, yeah, let alone exactly. like, a, a female trainer that I'm looking out for. I just was like, kind of like, nah, I'm not going to do anything to try to earn this. And you're at that point, but rightfully so, I think we all should understand that they're interviewing us as much as we're interviewing them to really see what's happening. Hence why, back to the point you made earlier, is ask questions to really see, like, what is this person looking for, right? And, and I'm glad you're bringing all this up because we have to make sure we're asking questions before... Um, we get the person out on the floor. You know, I mean, like, what does a perfect consultation look like? In my opinion, it's, hey, let's sit down first. Let me tell you my story. Let me hear your story. You know, where are you at right now? What's your previous experience like in the fitness world? You know, where do you want to take this? What do you What do you need from me, from yourself, from the gym? What is your goal? What's your timeline? Okay, let's first see if that's realistic or not, right? And then from there, okay, let's let's actually experience what what, what the workout is like. And I, I don't think I mentioned this earlier, but if I did, I, I apologize for repeating myself. But it's like, if you're not excited as the trainer to be like, oh, I can't wait to work with this person, then they're not going to be as excited. And I've seen that every single time. I actually had this talk with one of my trainers, Ben. I was like, Ben, all of all of your clients, what do they have in common? And and he's like, well, I don't really know. I mean, they're all so different from one another. And I was like, find one common, commonality. And I was like, well, they're all just super excited to like come to their workouts. And I was like, yeah, and how excited are you? And he's like, man, I'm pumped. Like he's always so happy on the job. And it's a reflection on him. It starts with him. It does. So I'm like, man, you show up excited or find something to be excited for in that person. I was like, don't get me wrong. Like there's not going to be a fit in some places, but you know, I need you to recognize that they're excited because you are. People who also self-select that kind of energy too, right? Like there are people who are so sickly, energetic and nice that I'm like, I can only take you at a very small dose. <laughs> yeah, hey, people much. feel like that about me, man. That's too much. It's way too much. You've been, you've been tame and chill on this. So this is good. Uh, <laughs> right? and, I, and I'm a little bit more even, but you know, I, I, I get excited and engaged and enthusiastic within the conversations and individual relationships I have with people. Uh, but yeah, I think people will self-select to you. So I hope what a lot of trainers find is that, they're attracting a lot of people who just like their style, whether it's a, a training style. Like, for example, if you're a CrossFit trainer, it's not my jam. I don't do it. I respect it fine. Uh, if someone came to me and asked, hey, do you do CrossFit training? They'd be like, nope, I got a few people I know who I can send your way. Or Olympic lifting. I know a lot of good Olympic lifters. I'm not skilled in that realm. Um, I don't coach competitive power lifters. I know a lot of people who do. I don't coach. I don't put bodybuilders and bikini girls up on stage. Again, these are not things that... A, don't have a lot of experience in them. I certainly haven't competed in any of these realms. Uh, I work with the general population. I work with older adults. I've got some young athletes. I work with some WHL hockey players and, and, and people in other sports. Uh, and I work with there's a fair bit of rehab stuff. And I train e- EPS applicants. Like They actually send me EPS applicants. And I've trained people for fire and military and, all, and awesome. other paramilitary services. That one... I, Anybody who's been in the industry does some of that just by virtue of knowing people. 
right? But I don't train um, mixed martial arts fighters, which is something that you're going to be really skilled at, right? Because, again, I never grew up around mixed martial arts. I mean, drunken street fighting in in Newfoundland, where I grew up, sure, that's a different story, but that's not a... Different world. (laughs) It'd be fun to see some of the toughest guys from George Street over the years just thrown into the ring and and see how long they last. See how they do. (laughs) How long they last against someone who's highly trained. That's like those YouTube videos you see where it's like drunk guy versus MMA fighter, and then like you see what happens. Yeah, it'd be entertaining. Yeah. But I'm belaboring the point, but uh, hopefully the type of people that you enjoy working with will self-select you in the longer you're around, and the more that you showcase your philosophies, your energy, and your knowledge on your media, the more that people will come to you who are looking for that. None of my media is about fat loss. Getting leaner and nutrition, all that sort of stuff, sure. But I don't have, you know, images. I've had one client who's a massive weight loss success um, Mm -hmm. a couple years ago. And he came to me to learn strength training because he'd already lost 100 pounds. He'd lost another 85 training, but we focused on his strength. He'd nailed his nutrition. And we did because he wanted to show the world the massive transformation. I was very clear. It's like, hey, he lost the first 100 pounds before he even worked with me. Yeah. I was very, this pet peeve of mine when coaches take credit for things that weren't yeah, theirs. Yeah, it's like all of the, the, the client is the star. The client is, is the person who did this. So true. But I don't show a lot of before and after. And it's just not my thing. But I know that, you know, significant weight loss is a very challenging thing to work with. Uh, and those clientele come in with, all, like, you know, whether it's emotional eating uh, behavior or history of disordered eating, you got to be very careful around that, or some other things. So, as a group, they can be very challenging to work with. They deserve the utmost of care. If anything, there's a group that deserves empathy and and like great quality coaching. That's it. But I know for me that I'm I can do a better job if I only work with exclusive few people. Whereas everything is really rooted in getting people stronger, right? Yeah. Whereas I I can't. I can't make my whole branding around, hey, let's let's do rapid weight loss. I mean, first of all, I think there's an integrity foul with that. But we also have to recognize the majority of the population are still... I don't believe in misleading marketing. I think that's entirely yeah. wrong. You definitely, I'm sure you could agree to this, that you're not a, a, a one-size, one-shoe-fits-all approach or like, hey, a three-month program with me and you'll get to where you need to go. Yeah. You know? And... and, and I mean, there's this whole backlash and like, oh, diet culture, toxic, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, we know statistically that dieting overwhelmingly isn't super successful. But that's more a function of just the sheer number of people who are doing it in a very ineffective way, crash dieting, yo-yo dieting, rebounding. They're not in the gym working out. They're not developing the skills, the habits, all the stuff we've talked about. But within that, there there is a, a lot of people. They're just dwarfed by the sheer magnitude of the people who are doing it wrong or, and being misled by the mainstream media and this side of the industry who've actually been really successful in lifestyle change. So it can be done. So I don't think that this anti-diet, diet culture is toxic crowd, they're necessarily helping either. It's just one of those, the pendulum in the fitness industry and nutrition swings wildly from one end to the other. We, we got veganism and then we got carnivore. And now we got the liver king. It's, carnivore's not enough now we got a guy it's just, it's, it's just organ well it's organ down meat. to like from a broad approach and specific approach you got a person that goes you're doing a squat wrong okay you're doing it right and there's just so many different ways we, of health we have depending on who the person a is. culture of oh god it's like there are some people that use language around if you move even the slightest bit wrong <laughs> your joints will explode and everything 
everything, chicken little shit, right? Uh, and I mean, a big account, and I don't like calling anybody out because I actually think it's a good account, but like Squat U. Um, Squat U is one of those accounts that a lot of people kind of get a little critical of because the, the guy behind, he's a smart guy, he's, he's definitely doing a lot of good stuff, but some of the language he uses, it does make it sound like, God forbid, you like, your toe is out of place and shit, like, you wear the wrong shoes and like everything's going to fall yeah. apart. It's like, that stuff's not helping because we're perpetuating culture of fear around exercise when we actually should make people feel safe can you get hurt in the gym hell yeah you spend your entire life on the couch doing nothing that's a recipe for pain and long-term dysfunction and misery as the years go by yeah so yeah you can get hurt and should you probably hire a really skilled trainer if you're learning stuff i think it's a wonderful idea it's a good way to efficiently learn how to get stronger and get comfortable in a gym setting especially if you're intimidated by it but if you don't do your exercises flawlessly Humans are super resilient. You're not going to break. And it's this delicate balance between making people feel confident, wanting to learn how to do it well so you're really effective, and minimizing the chance of unnecessary risk of injury, while not perpetuating this idea that if you do even the slightest thing wrong, terrible things will happen. You make such a good point because I'm going to address my personal um, situation with this. And, and, And many people don't know this, but my first experience with strength and conditioning coaching was when I was an ambassador for Pivotal Physio. So it was a really unique opportunity to be able to create this partnership with them where I would get physio, strength and conditioning coaching, um, as well as, you know, massage therapy. And then uh, having Marek uh, Kumar, shout out to him as a, you know, mental psychologist, sports consultant. Why I share this based off what you just said is, no matter how good you think you are, or no matter how experienced you are in anything, you can always learn from a professional who's dedicated their life to something that they offer as a service. So I'll never forget, I'll admit, when I got assigned my strength and conditioning coach, Nelson, I looked at him and I was like... I know Nelson. Yeah, he's awesome. I to him within the last two weeks. That's awesome. And I remember looking at him and he won't mind if I shared this because I said this to him. I looked at him and I'm like, this guy? gonna be my coach like he's smaller than me (laughs) you know and then i also thought like okay well yeah sure i'll do strength and conditioning coaching right i already know how to lift weights and do what i need to do at the gym and this is this is what every other person who has a routine quote unquote at the gym says about oh it's okay i don't need a trainer i've got my program or i'm doing my own thing i'm good boy was i ever like humbled you know i was like it was something that really made me recognize the true actual respect someone who's not just a and i don't mean just a trainer but is like you know nsca certified strength and conditioning coach through raj dylan at pivotal and just i still to this day andrew hear his voice in my head when it comes to you know break the bar you know keep your posture upright you know like like little things like that where he trained my entire philosophy on training solely based off the concept of we need to respect what people do as a profession, but also recognize that, like, yeah, we're going to have our opinions, and it's okay to be able to provide them, but for them to recognize that, like, yeah, that's okay, but I'm just adding. I'm adding ingredients. I'm not replacing ingredients. That was something I love that Nelson mentioned is he's someone that didn't know shit all about jiu-jitsu, Andrew. And you know what he did? And this is a shout-out to any other trainer who's working with anyone. He went, Kenny, 
share with me the movements. Get like, and he's like, I know that we're going to have to sit here probably for years for you to like teach it to me. But he's like, that's not the point. Share with me what you need to know. And I was like, oh, you know, shrimping, I need to have powerful hips. You know, I need to make sure that I have the ability to push and pull in certain situations. He's like, okay, done. I'll keep that in mind. I'll go home. I'll look at jujitsu videos. I'll get a taste of what you need to be prepared for. Second thing he did is he said, Kenny, I want to do a class. Let me just come with you. Let me try this out. Let me be immersed in your environment. So it was just such a Nelson thing to do, he right? mangled it. <laughs> yeah, he loved it. He's like, okay, never again. All my friends who have gotten really into MMA stuff and jiu-jitsu just are passionate about it. Like I mentioned in Guido or um, if anybody knows who Jeff Hecht is. So Jeff's a very close friend of mine. And Jeff's a two-time Grey Cup champion. He won, He's retired now, but he won with the Blue Bombers. Not this season, but the previous season mm. and he won a cup with calvary a while back and he's uh, just loves this stuff he's great he's one of my training partners at frontline academy there you go sweet. right it's a yep. small world it's right? awesome that's a really great dude we're he's gonna good. he does a uh, a boxing day pajama party that yeah we just go start drinking <laughs> love that on boxing day <laughs> I just that, that that cluster of friends right go over to his place you see is like he's played for four CFL teams so his four helmets are on awesome. his, his mantle is sweet um, really cool dude like but anyway um, and there's so many other people who just like love that stuff and it's not a world I've been put into it'd be kind of funny because like I mean most people watch this video or do they listen to the audio uh, they listen to the audio for the most part okay so you know, if anybody hasn't seen me, I'm like 6'2", and I'm 255. <laughs> You're way taller than I expected. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm, I'm a leaner version of that too, right? So, you're not the leanest person in the world. But anyway, it would be really funny to see how useless I would be against someone who is like highly trained and skilled. I've got what? 60 pounds on you? Uh, yeah, you said 260? 255, yeah. Oh, man, you got a good like 60, 70 pounds, yeah. Okay, you destroy me. Well, I mean, that's the thing, there, though. There is something to size difference. We know that. Mm. But the skill and level of training, like, you get a lot of people go in and think, oh, I'd be fine, whatever. There'd be straw weight women who would fuck you up. Well, this is what they'd say, and you make such a good point, man, because, okay, they always say, if I did so much strength training and technique, am I going to be better at jiu-jitsu or MMA? It's like, all right, well, let's compare that to the person that just did technique all the time. All the time. They spent all their training hours training technique. The person training with all technique, you could almost argue, would win. But I do, at the same time, make sure I'm doing very specific type of strength training mm. to ensure that I actually am more advantageous. And that's what I, I actually struggled with that recently. I went to California, Andrew. I realized that I have four to six pounds of muscle to gain to still be at my same weight class. I'm the lightest guy in my division. And these guys are throwing me around like a rag doll. And that makes a big difference, though. It's, it's the ability to produce force, right? Yes. And that's a big part of it. Uh, another thing that's a really essential component and I'm shout out a really great book is the conditioning aspect of it. And I mean, even I don't have a really great grasp on all the nuances of conditioning, but so uh, a guy I know in the industry, his name is Joel Jameson. He's based out of Seattle. He's uh, Demetrius Johnson's longtime strength and conditioning coach. Oh, nice. So he's got major cred. I can't remember. Joel has his own facility, but it's right next door to a major, uh, MMA Academy like place in Seattle. I just can't remember what the name of it is. But Joel wrote this book, Ultimate MMA Conditioning. And it's an old book. You can order it off Amazon. Like It's not even all that like special, but it's just full of all the nuance of the different energy systems. Now, trainers, you guys actually know your energy system stuff. So this book, if you're never going to coach anybody in mixed martial arts, go read the book. It does a killer job. If anyone's done precision nutrition and talks about energy systems, that's like a drop in the bucket compared to the depth that Joel goes into with this book. It is super 
Coaches definitely should make this one on a priority list, especially if you're doing conditioning work with people. And while, yes, it talks in a lot of specific terms about MMA, it also talks in a lot of general terms. He goes into the science. It is something you can use with any client. So really good book. Solid, yeah. I know you'll go back and listen to this and pick out all the books. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm going to have to create a list, and then we'll send it out to the audience so that way everyone has access to it. Joel does good work. He's um, And he's now developed a system. It's called Morpheus. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, heart rate variability. He's big on heart rate, heart rate variability and understanding that sort of stuff for what, what is it, athletic performance or everyday people. Right? I wonder if he created that that's in competition with the whoop strap right now. Because um, the whoop strap's been gaining a lot of momentum. I'm waiting for my next sure. strap to come I know out. That, but... So he'd actually been contracted by Gold's Gym to develop it. Oh, wow. But then Gold's, through the pandemic, went, they, they went through a bankruptcy. So they backed out of it. So Joel basically just took it and ran with it on his own. Gold's was beautiful at the time when it was in West Edmonton Mall before Simon's. It was right beside my mom and dad's clinic, Laser Shear and Acne Clinic. And I'll never forget like how much of a big hit they had, Andrew. From like being right beside the gym that wanted everyone to be with no hair and a tan, like it was perfect. Mm. To then, you know, them getting out of the gym. I don't. They ended up moving locations, and now it's not even Gold's Gym anymore. It's like some West Edmonton Mall Fit Club or something. And even now, it's turned into a crunch. There's been turnover in the industry. <sighs> so there's much. there's going to be interesting stuff coming out. And, and the people who are in Edmonton, so Planet Fitness are coming in. There's going to be about six or seven, I think, six to seven of them. Scattered across um, Edmonton and the surrounding region. There's supposed to be one in Leduc, Short Park, South Common. They're expanding. Kingsway, Bonnie Dune, uh, the old World Health Gym movement in Mayfield that they shut down in their bankruptcy is going to be a plan of fitness. Like, this stuff's under construction. These things will be open in months. And I know there's one up in the St. Albert area. At the same time, Evolve's expanding. We're going yeah. into a couple opening up in Vancouver. We got two Amazon's headquarters, which is Amazon's amazing, headquarters, exactly man. in Vancouver. It's awesome. Uh, we got a couple going into Calgary. There'll be more in in Edmonton. Uh, there's going to be some cool, interesting things shaking up in our, our city. And there's a lot of these little gyms like Cody Gonick's The Vault, or oh God, there's just so many examples. Our industry is like rapidly changing right now, and it's so cool that it's changing for the better, even despite what happened through COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you were a big part of that conversation when you know COVID began, and you were just talking about how you were pivoting on your podcast and how like how many more online clients you had. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, this was about a year and a half or two years ago. I listened to this, and you agreed that it's not as special as it is in person however it's better than nothing and I remembered at the time how important that was for trainers to recognize Mm -hmm. it's like if you're going to opt out and not train at all why are you in this industry in the first place and I'm very salty about that I'll be honest because I had trainers go oh it's okay I'll just I'll just get paid the same amount through the government and it's like you know you you told me that you want to change lives and what better time than now when people are actually so scared of their health you know, and that was a big thing for me where I had the chance to opt out. I was like, no, I'm stepping in green. Like, I don't know anything, but I'm going to learn as I go because people need fucking help right now. Well, tough year and a half. And, you know, it's something I think we've talked to death and there's not much value in kind of going back through it. Going forward, I think you alluded to being adaptable and versatile in what you could do. I mean, I hate Zoom sessions. But I was also in a unique position. I'm comfortable saying this. This might piss one or two people off, but I set up a home facility and I operated the entire time. And I don't give a shit. Uh, and I had clients look at me and say, I, mean, I was being smart about it, but I, clients who said to me, you say, this saved my life this year. Right? Huge. And I'm sorry, but you know, I wasn't willing to compromise on that. And 
you know, now I split my time. Evolve South is my weekday daytime and my evenings and weekends I do in my home studio and I have clients who still love it. And I've tried to look at the the bright side and the positives that's come out of this despite the fact that, you know, this has kicked a lot of people's ass. So I'm very grateful for it, but I'm also empathetic to the, the people that didn't have my good fortune. But, you know, at the same time, it's also an accumulation of a lot of years of a lot of this stuff. So I was yeah. able to put myself in a position where I, I own my own house and I was able to use an entire basement set up for this purpose. It's amazing. You clearly doubled down on being as productive as you possibly could and still managed to like recognize that you were doing you were doing a lot of good despite whatever at the time if it was against the law or not you were just uh, you know like <laughs> that's all the well, past that we're operating in a gray area <laughs> yeah. um and then you know focusing on growth and the writing side of things and certainly like just relentless consistency with social media and i come out the other side of it and it's just been unbelievable like we were talking before here this has been great. This has been a really unique experience. Yeah. Uh, I've got three other podcast appearances this week, and it's somewhere north of 50 in the last you know, 20 months. It's amazing. That's nuts to me. That doesn't make sense. I like putting it this way, and this will be in the presentation in some form that I do for Kabuki Education Week. For a very long time, I just thought, hey, you know, I'm a regular on-the-floor gym trainer. And I knew I was a damn busy one. And then I would read Teen Nation every morning for years. I learned and I read Lee Boyce's stuff and Martin Rooney's stuff and Dean Somerset. Oh, Dean's working for the same company I do and Tony Jamalcore. And they're all friends of mine now. Christian Thibodeau. It's like, how did that happen? Okay. And I would listen to podcasts about fitness, like the Fitcast and Danny Lennon's Sigma Nutrition Radio and Lane Norton's Ed Sohealy's Physique Science Radio. And I would think, oh, I'm, I'm not the sort of person who could ever have a podcast. I'm not the sort of person who could ever write for Teen Nation. Um, these people are in this like industry... I, I don't want to use the term status, but I suppose there's n- not much better. Like, But they're of a status as industry leaders. I, it's, I didn't connect the dots between, well, how did you get from the gym floor trainer to there? I never understood that. And then as time passed, I looked back and people are treating me like I'm in that space, which is weird. And I'm the host of a podcast. I'm running for all these same publications and I'm being asked to appear on these podcasts. There's like people would argue there's 12 Andrews, but there's only one. <laughs> And it's just, it's a very surreal thing. But what I've tried to really create is the roadmap and then a big social, I never thought for a second I could ever have a big social media following and define big, right? It's like, you know, there's people who are vastly bigger, but I've tried to showcase, here's all of the steps, all the things I did. And there's luck and there's, you know, unique elements to it. And there's happenstance and traveling to fitness conferences and meeting people was one of the key linchpins to doing this. It's also why I like bringing stuff in here. And that's why I made sure I was at this event today and, you know, get to hang out with Jordan Shallow. Um, but there's, there's a roadmap. And yeah, we know that not everybody could probably truly do it on, on a certain level. And not everybody wants to. But if you're really interested in doing it and you're passionate about doing it, there are a lot of things you can do to create a brand that stands out at the very least on a local level. And there are opportunities to step out even beyond where you may be the, again, like to, to imagine that I'd be invited to speak at industry events or host my own, like we did Dean and I in 20, 2019 through uh, with evolve and bringing in some big name people in the industry. That was nuts. And as soon as I could get that rebooted again, with all this crap, yeah, because we're going into another wave, so uh. so true. But the goal is to reboot that. And Cody Gonick and I were talking about doing some local stuff out of his facility and, and creating more opportunity for some local people. And 
we'll just see where we can take it. So I hope people are paying attention. If anybody here is a trainer in the industry and you want access to whatever local events are going on, or you just want to develop your career, like shoot me messages, plug in. Yeah. Um, I'll always respond to that stuff. I'm always going to put you in the right direction. I'm not interested in selling anybody anything that my bucket is full on that. And it just happens on its own. Um, I'm just more interested in actually like giving and supporting because Love that. I also, I'm fulfilled by it, but I also know that that has treated me really well. That's awesome, Andrew. We, we appreciate honestly, every single word, every single thought and every single, you know, second of your time today and i I can't help but need to ask this for i'm sure the listeners are curious about it too but you know where exactly do you and if you don't that's fair but where do you see yourself taking everything that you're doing is it just by maintaining what you currently have going on you you're putting yourself anywhere and everywhere you possibly can in the fitness industry and it's it'd be really delightful to hear if you have an idea of where you want it all to land you can't be everywhere so there's only so much time, so much bandwidth. I always see myself as a coach in person. I have a growing online business. Um, I have to go home tonight and sit down and do my updates because I was busy all weekend. It's time consuming. I love the writing side of things. I will try to maintain the podcast to the best of my ability. I may not be able to do it on a relentlessly weekly basis anymore. Just schedules tough. All roads lead to growth. And I can't see me owning a physical facility outside of my own studio. That's different. I can see me continuing to try to accumulate writing. Um, obviously, social media growth is just probably going to be a thing because it's been nonstop and steady. Speaking at more events as that stuff reopens back into the world again. And it, it's, it's just brand growth. It's it's industry recognition and I'm comfortable with it I've embraced it because I'm not I think some people are like almost afraid of it or shy away from it because they don't they're not comfortable with the limelight I'm, I'm cool with that I, I can embrace that so it's going to be growth there uh, people ask if I'll ever write a book who knows I'll never say no I don't know where I'd find the time to do something like that that's nuts to me uh, I don't imagine founding an, a big online company the way that renaissance periodization turned mm-hmm. into it but I'm definitely developing relationships and trying to put myself in a position where as opportunities knock on your door, I can take a look at it. And again, you get to the point where you have to say no to more, far more things you're saying yes to. And a lot of these things just don't align. And I, and I've gotten very good at trying to guard my time and and politely say, Hey, I'm genuinely sorry, but I'm politely saying no to stuff right now because like, I just, there's no way I can, I can do this. The things I've already committed to, I wouldn't be able to do justice to what you're asking of me and you've been good because you've explained even in this podcast how like you know john brardy demonstrated this too and how he deals with no's is like hey i can't do it however here's someone who can you know here's here's where i could actually yeah. bring the he's, he's a classic if anybody knows who john is he's very picky about what he does and i precision nutrition reached out to me a, a while back and asked if i would have some of uh, their people on the podcast and guido was still hosting it with me so we had uh, Adam Fight and Craig Weller, and then I, I knew who Krista Scott Dixon and Brian St. Pierre, who are the two key architects besides Berardi doing the precision. So they both came on. So everybody, and then and the guy that um, I was running all this through, we just really loved how much I knew about Berardi and his whole ethos and, and his history. And Krista and Brian and, and the rest, they had had wonderful things to say. And I, and I expressed and I said, you know, I, I understand that John doesn't do a lot of podcasts. And it would be something I'd be honored if there's ever the opportunity. 
And he, he turned around. He's like, yeah, I'll go do this. I've heard great things. So he did it, and we have John Brody. And, and it's true, your guest list on your podcast is part of your resume as well. Big time. So that was cool. Um, but being able to say no to stuff as well. I mean, early on in trainer's career, it's funny. This is a quote from a friend... A uh, former client of mine, but he started out as a, a membership sales guy. Is when I first met him. Mm-hmm. We started working together at World Health eleven years ago. But when he was training with me, he said he was to the effect about trainers working about worry about burnout. He said, "Don't worry about burnout. Don't worry about not starving." So early on in your career, and it's, <laughs> yeah, it's one of the most blunt pieces of advice I can give you. If you're a little earlier on, you got to say yes to a lot of stuff. You got to train a, a diverse and wide array of clientele. You have to. You're not necessarily going to be able to be picky about people's energy, so it's important. This is kind of a summary of what we talked about. You got to bring some really great energy, right? And you got to do everything you can to fill in gaps of the skills. And okay, you got someone who like has this injury you don't know much about. You better go learn this shit now. Refer out to qualified physios for stuff that's outside your scope. But if you got a, an athlete, the first time I ever trained someone from the military, I had to do some homework on learning about how the military physical worked. Um, same thing for fire physical, same thing for police physicals, whether it's APREP or if it's COPAT for like paramilitary stuff, um, like corrections. And, you know, the first time I was dieting someone for, for show, which is dancing in a very gray area for, um, you know, your scope of practice, but I did it for a friend of mine. And I realized it wasn't something I was interested in, but you got to go in deep and you get into Lane Nor- Norton's resources like, uh, what's his, uh, He's got a physique prep book. I can't remember the name of it, but mm-hmm. it's a good place if someone's really interested in that. It's yeah. very evidence-based. You go and you grab on and you try to learn this stuff. If you're coaching an MMA fighter, go read this book, Ultimate MMA Conditioning. And then yeah. you just got to, I can't think of a, a really good strength book based on that. But again, you mentioned NSCA, Strength and Conditioning. Like good fundamentals of strength and conditioning. There's a few books uh, on the exercise science of strength conditioning, read that stuff, and it's going to take care of you when it comes to MMA fighters. Definitely. Anyway, that's I awesome. rambled enough. No, that's fantastic, man. Thank you so much for your time, Andrew. We have um, two rapid fire questions, Done. and then you'll let us know where we can find you on Instagram, and then we'll wrap it up. Sure. So, you know, for someone like me who is on the same page with working endlessly, knowing it's not permanent, you know, there's things that I would mention that are like my grounding rocks that keep it all together. But like, if you could fill in the blank here and say, you know, if um, I make sure I X, Y, Z to work with that much energy seven days a week, what are some of the things that you know are just non-negotiables for you to, to, to keep yourself this wired with what you do seven days a week? My man. own workout, my sleep. I mean, these are, these are the fundamentals that go to any client. I mean, like, I'm not willing to compromise on my sleep. Um, I make sure my nutrition is very, very consistent, which grants me the allowance to enjoy things that I want to when I enjoy it. I also carry so much body muscle. I train so much that I can burn through virtually anything. <laughs> yeah. So there's a blessing there. Again, and it just, I, I look at my workouts as uh, non-negotiable, but it takes you more emotional energy, mental energy to decide not to work out than it does to actually go work out. It's sort of an automatic default setting. I like mm-hmm. that phrase, default setting. And then it's, you still have to have some boundaries and I I have a very broad schedule, but you still have to have some boundaries around your time and what you're willing to do, which then protects your emotional energy to show up and have that positive energy for the clients in front of you. And then you just got to keep, keep your own mind healthy 
and whatever that means to someone. I, I'm not a guy who's into meditation myself, but if it's, if it's meditation, if it's the classics of journaling or whatever someone needs to do or spend time with their friends and family to stay grounded in a positive place, I mean, you, you owe that to everybody else that you work with. Yeah, so that's no, the best answer. I love I that. That's awesome. And last thing there, Andrew, would be, you know, we ask every single one of our guests this is, you know, metaphorically, when you come on the second floor, we believe we bring on people who, you know, just take things to the next level, constantly elevating, constantly growing in life. And I always like to ask our guests, you know, what do you personally believe it takes for someone to take things to the second floor in their own life or in their own career? Here's a very good thing among many is analyzing the stories that you tell yourself as to why you couldn't. Um, Self-limiting beliefs, right? Analyze your self-limiting beliefs. A lot of what's holding people back is beliefs around themselves about what they cannot do. It goes to, I mentioned growth mindset earlier. It's the opposite. It's fixed mindset. It's someone who does not believe they're capable of learning new skills or doing certain things. It was me subconsciously not believing that I could ever do any of the things that I talked about, as I said earlier, and over time, allowing those things to happen, as opposed to staying rooted in the fact that, no, I can never be the person who does this or be invited on a podcast like this. So, and I like thinking about it in terms of story because everything about our identity is wrapped up in stories, story about who we are, where we came from, why we are the way we are. And if we just accept those stories as being the default setting, then we will never step outside of them or challenge them. But if we can take a step back and recognize that's a story I've told myself, I don't know how to program a website. I don't have web skills. That's both literally, but also an example, a metaphor. Well, if you double down on that belief system, then that'll never change. You'll never go out and acquire those skills Mm. or I could never be a skilled fighter. Whereas in the case of the mixed martial arts stuff, I acknowledge I don't have the time and it's like not high on my priority list. But if I were to step into that world, you know, I would practice and develop and learn those skills or any skill I wanted, wanted to develop. If you're not a good writer, oh, I couldn't write. I'm not good on video. Well, maybe you actually have to go read some books on writing. If anybody's interested in that, message me. I'll send you a list of a, a starting point and a list of good books to, to do that. You can watch a lot of YouTube videos on the skills of video editing and being good on that front. So challenge the stories that are keeping you in this complacent, safe place. And it's keeping you safe from experiencing failure or putting yourself out there. There's a big lie that we tell ourselves that, oh, and we find all these convenient excuses that hold us back from doing things that we would secretly love to do, but we're scared of doing. Challenge those stories. Start there. I love that. And by doing so, you really get to control your narrative. You know, it's amazing, man. I, uh, man, first and foremost, I really want to just take a second to appreciate just how much book recommendations you've given us on air today. Um, just really giving trainers and anyone out there, if they're a client or there's someone who is in a field in which they're servicing people, 
bigger idea of recognizing what we need to control and how we need to show up outside the service we're actually giving. Because you and me could have just riffed it all day today about programming, how you know what the workout should be. But I think you and I both know that if trainers are just smart enough to stay certified and educated, they can figure that out. But today, I think we got to really hone in on how trainers need to show up mentally and physically for their clients, and um, you know, like everything it takes to be able to have confidence in sales and uh, everything in between, man. And uh, this is like for me, I wanted to share with you a dream come true. You know, I've been inspired by you, man, since. Um, I started to be in the industry and I really did my research on seeing who, in my opinion at that time and still, are the people who I look up to. And it's just an absolute honor to to sit here and have you on the show, man. Thank so I appreciate being invited. It's an honor to be here. Absolutely, man. So uh, for our audience that surprisingly are living under a rock and don't know where you are to where we can find you um, on social media, uh, where can they find you and how can we stay connected to you, man? Uh, it's all roads go through Instagram. So Andrew Coates Fitness, C-O-A-T-E-S. Uh, my website, andrewcoatesfitness.com. Same thing. Uh, I write articles on there and I link through all of the articles that I get published out on anywhere else. It's all on my website. Um, the podcast is the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. It is a play on the fourth Die Hard movie, Live Free and Die Hard. <laughs> Love that. I used to have trouble saying the podcast name, and now I have trouble saying the movie name. <laughs> yeah. But um, but most of all, just uh, say hi on Instagram. If anybody's listening and genuinely has a question, or even you just like this, just open the door to, and I'll, I'll, I'll I will respond, and then that way it opens up to answering questions if you ever have them about anything we talked about. There it is. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Andrew Coates. That's a wrap. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you. I appreciate it.